Blog Talk Radio. Spreading the love worldwide. www.jesusinthemorningradio.com Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting in my
Imagine starting your day, not just with a cup of coffee or a quick glance at your phone, but with a powerful assurance that today can be extraordinary. Picture yourselves stepping into each moment, fueled not just by your plans and efforts, but by a divine promise of guidance and blessing. If you believe that God can make a difference in your life today, let us stand together in faith. I will pray a powerful prayer with you in the mighty name of Jesus. So watch until the end and open your hearts to receive the blessings of this prayer. My friends, in the quiet moments of our mornings lies a precious opportunity to shape the hours ahead with hope, grace, and intention. It is in these serene early moments that we find our hearts most open to the whispers of God and where our souls are most receptive to His guiding hand. Let us reflect on the words from Psalm 118, verse 24, which says, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This verse isn't just a statement. It's an invitation to align our hearts with a spirit of gratitude and joy. It reminds us that each day is a divine gift, intricately woven with possibilities and opportunities for us to discover and embrace. As we pray for a good day, we are not merely asking for favorable circumstances. We are also seeking to tune in our hearts to the beauty and blessings that each day holds. When we approach our day with prayer, we are not just hoping for the best. We are placing our trust in the one who holds all our days in his hands. We acknowledge that our own strength is limited, but in God, we find an unlimited source of strength, wisdom, and peace. Therefore, our prayer becomes a powerful testament to our faith, a declaration that we choose to rely on God's promises and His unfailing love to guide us through the day. As we face the unknowns of the day with courage, we ask not just for the absence of trouble, but for the presence of God's peace that surpasses all understanding. This peace becomes our steady companion, guiding our thoughts, words, and actions, turning ordinary moments into extraordinary encounters with God's grace. As we seek God for a good day, we seek to align our will with God's will. It is in this sacred exchange that we find the essence of a truly good day. One that is not measured merely by worldly successes, but also by how closely we walk with the Lord. It's about seeing His hand in every detail, feeling His presence in every challenge, and hearing His voice in the quiet whispers of our hearts. So, my friends, let us come together in prayer, not only wishing for a better day, but as a powerful act of faith and surrender. Let us pray with hearts, full of hope, trusting that God is with us, guiding our steps and turning every day into a testament of His love and faithfulness. Today, as we seek a good day, let's remember 
that it begins here, in this moment of prayer, where heaven touches earth and your heart finds true joy in the Lord's embrace. Now, to all those within the sound of my voice, let us go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to pray this prayer with me so that you can have all the blessings of this prayer. You may also listen to this prayer daily as you build your faith and come in agreement. Let us pray to our gracious and loving God, Heavenly Father, Creator of the heavens and earth, I come before you with a heart full of praise and thanksgiving. Your majesty and glory are beyond comprehension, and your love for us is unending. I exalt your holy name and acknowledge your sovereignty over all things. You are the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and in your presence I find true peace and fulfillment. Lord, I thank you for this new day, a precious gift from your generous hands. I am grateful for the breath in my lungs, the strength in my body, and the opportunities that lie ahead. Your mercies are new every morning, and your faithfulness is as boundless as the sky. For the love and grace that you have given to me and my loved ones, I am eternally thankful. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth and in my life, as it is in heaven. As I stand in your presence, I ask for forgiveness of my sins, both known and unknown. Cleanse my heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. I also forgive those who have wronged me, releasing any bitterness or resentment. For in forgiveness, I find freedom. In the mighty name of Jesus, I declare victory over my day. I seek your guidance and wisdom in every decision I make. Lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Enlighten my mind with your divine insight and help me discern your will in all things. In every conversation, every interaction, in every choice, let your wisdom be my guide. Lord, I ask for your strength and courage. In moments of weakness, be my fortress. When I face trials and tribulations, be my rock. Let your courage fill my heart, enabling me to overcome obstacles and stand firm against the winds of adversity. I'm grateful that in your strength I can achieve all things. For with you all things are possible. I pray for your peace to surround me today. Let it guard my heart and mind. In the midst of chaos, let your peace reign. Let it be a beacon of hope to those around me, a testament to your calming presence in my life. Protect me, Lord, from all harm. Be my shield and defender against the schemes of the enemy. Keep me and my loved ones safe under the shadow of your wings. Deliver us from all evil and lead us away from temptation. Protect us 
in our going out and our coming in, today and forevermore. I pray for health and well-being, not just for myself, but also for my loved ones. Heal us from every sickness and disease. Mend what is broken within us and revive what has grown weary. I thank you, Lord, that you are the great physician, the healer of all our ailments, and in your hands there is restoration and peace. Your word says that by the stripes of Jesus we are healed, and I claim that promise over our lives today. I pray for deliverance from the spirits of fear, anxiety, depression, addiction, and discouragement, and ask for your powerful intervention to break these chains and set me free in the name of Jesus. Lord, prosper the work of my hands. Open doors of opportunity and bless my goals and aspirations. May your abundance flow in my life and let me be a blessing to others. In your loving kindness, I ask that you meet my needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Lord, fill me with your love and compassion. Let me be a vessel of your grace, showing kindness and understanding to everyone I encounter. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke all forms of attacks by the enemy. I declare that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I bind the spirit of delay, disappointment, and stagnation in the name of Jesus. I rebuke bonds of oppression and any plans of the enemy to derail your purpose for my life. Lord, as I say this prayer together with everyone listening, I am grateful for every heart that is humbled before you right now. As we come in agreement, praying for each other, let your Holy Spirit move among us, touching every life, healing every wound, and fulfilling every need. In your infinite grace, we ask that you align your blessings to meet us right where we are. May your favor be upon us. May your protection surround us. And may your peace dwell within us. We declare that everything is working for us and not against us. Deliver us from all accidents and negative incidents. We are grateful that your goodness and mercies shall follow us all the days of our lives. Gracious Lord, we pray that you will help us to have a good day today. We claim victory over our challenges, declare healing over our bodies, and we thank you for your unwavering protection. As this day ends, we return with hearts full of thankfulness for every lesson learned, for every blessing received, we give you glory. Lord, may your Holy Spirit guide us, comfort us, and empower us in all our ways. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering my prayer. 
In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen. If you were blessed by this prayer, type the word. Chapter 5 But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.
that God is indeed bigger than any problems we may face. So together, we will delve into other biblical principles that affirm this truth, while focusing on seven key insights that you need to understand. Number one, God's infinite power overrides all challenges. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Friends, it's all too easy to feel overwhelmed by life's challenges. Whether they're financial issues, health concerns, or strained relationships. But before we give in to despair, let us remember who created the universe and all that is within it. God, whose power and understanding are beyond human comprehension. Think about the story of the Israelites, who were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They faced insurmountable challenges, yet God parted the Red Sea for them and vanquished their oppressors. If the creator of the universe can do that, imagine what he can do for you. All it takes is faith as small as a mustard seed to move mountains. There is a saying that when you reach the end of your rope, you'll find God's hands waiting to catch you. How many times have you felt like you've reached that point? Instead of wallowing in despair, take that leap of faith. Know that God's power is so much greater than any problem you might have. Our focus must not be on the problem but on the problem solver. Reflect on this. If God can breathe life into dust and calm stormy seas with a simple command, what makes you think he can't handle your issues? God's power is infinite. If he has done it for others, he will do it for you. Our God is faithful. Be patient, trust his timing, and put your trust in God. Number two. God's unchanging nature is our anchor. Malachi 3 verse 6 tells us, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. My dear friends, in the ups and downs of life, our emotions and circumstances change like the tides. However, God's nature is unchanging, and in that we can find solace. In the Bible, we read about Job, who lost everything, his health, his wealth, and his family. Yet, he held on to his faith in God's unchanging nature. Eventually, his fortunes were restored many times over. The world around us is constantly changing, making it hard to find stable ground. When facing the storms of life, think of God as your anchor. He will provide stability and strength when everything around you seems to be falling apart. In moments of uncertainty, remember that God was, is, and always will be the same. A loving father ready to embrace his children. As your challenges change, as your worries multiply, and as your problems grow, God still remains the same unchanging anchor. My friends, you're not going through your struggles alone. God is there with you. In times of trouble, hold on to the anchor of God's unchanging nature. 
Trust that his love and eternal consistency will see you through your darkest days. Number three, your faith determines your perspective. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is the word of the Lord, according to Hebrews 11, verse 1. Again, let us consider the story of David and Goliath. Here was a young shepherd boy, armed only with a sling and five smooth stones, standing before a giant of a man clad in armor. What gave David the courage to face such an adversary? It was his unwavering faith in a God much bigger than Goliath. When faced with a problem, we often look at it through the lens of our limitations, forgetting that our perspective should be rooted in our faith in God. Like David, we must focus on God's strength rather than our weakness. This perspective shift doesn't belittle your problems. Rather, it magnifies your faith in a God who can solve them. It's easy to be overwhelmed when you're staring up at a mountain of problems. But remember, from a high vantage point, even the tallest mountains appear small. Elevate your faith rise above your challenges, and from that viewpoint, you'll see that your problems can be overcome. As you go through life, remember that your faith sets the stage for divine intervention. The bigger your faith, the smaller your problems seem in the face of our God, who holds the universe in His hands. Number four, prayer is your direct line to the problem solver. Philippians 4 verses 6 to 7 reminds, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. My friends, how often do you turn to prayer in moments of despair? We often think of prayer as the last resort, when it should be our first line of defense. There's a powerful story in the Bible about Hannah, who was barren and ridiculed by her peers. Instead of succumbing to her sorrows, she poured out her heart in prayer, and God answered her by blessing her with a son. He was called Samuel, who would grow up to be a great prophet. This story can be found in the book of 1 Samuel, chapters 1 and 2. Prayer is more than just presenting a list of requests to God. It's about establishing a deep and meaningful relationship with Him. When you pray sincerely, you're not just talking to God, you're talking with God. In that conversation, you'll find the peace that surpasses all understanding. Remember that you are never too broken, too lost, or too insignificant for God to hear your prayers. In your darkest moments, the light of God's love can shine the brightest, illuminating the way out of your problem. It's not about the eloquence of your words, but the earnestness of your heart. In your prayer life, always remember that you're not just pleading with a distant God. Instead, you're communing with a loving Father. That is the beauty and the power of prayer. Number five, 
God's grace is sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 tells us, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My dear friends, have you ever felt like you are unworthy or undeserving of God's blessings because of your struggles or failures? At times, our problems make us feel like we are too flawed for God to work through us. Yet, let us remember the Apostle Paul, a man with his own thorn in the flesh, despite his petitions for relief. God's answer was that his grace was sufficient. And so, Paul rejoiced in his weaknesses because it was then that God's power was made manifest. Even when we are weak, God is strong. Your problems do not define you, but God's grace does. His grace isn't a one-time gift, but a constant flow of love and support. Every time you stumble, every time you falter, God's grace is there to catch you and lift you up. You may feel like you're going through the fire, but remember that fire also refines gold. God's grace can turn your trials into triumphs, your tests into testimonies. Just as Paul found joy in his weaknesses because it showcased God's strength, let your problems be an opportunity for God's grace to shine. So, when you find yourself struggling, remember that God's grace is sufficient for you. It doesn't mean your problems will disappear, but it means you will have the strength to face and overcome them, knowing that God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Number 6. Understand the significance of community and fellowship. In the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Community and fellowship are more than just buzzwords. They are a biblical mandate. My friends, none of us are meant to go through life alone, especially during challenging times. Think of Moses, who was tasked with leading the Israelites to the Promised Land. Despite being chosen by God, Moses needed Aaron and Hur to hold up his arms during a battle. He couldn't do it alone. It's not just about bearing your burdens alone, but sharing them with a community that can help you carry them. Sometimes God solves your problems by sending people into your life who can offer a different perspective, practical support, or spiritual guidance, but I urge you to exercise discernment in choosing whom to confide in. Begin by praying for God's wisdom and listening for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is crucial because, as we all know, not everyone has your best interests at heart. Buke every sickness, disease, or evil force that may try to attack my body, mind, or spirit. I declare healing in every area of my life. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, I pray for your protection over me and my loved ones. May your angels encamp around us, keeping us safe from harm's way. I pray for the salvation of my loved ones, that they too will come to experience your grace, goodness, and love. Lord, I ask for your abundant blessings to flow in my life that I may not lack any good thing, and that I will be empowered to bless others. Father God, strengthen my faith, 
empower my prayers, and infuse my life with your grace. Lord, as I say this prayer, together with everyone listening, I thank you for every heart that is open to your grace and mercies right now. For those of us who are burdened, Lord, may you give us rest. For those who are in despair, may you fill us with hope and comfort through your Holy Spirit. Father, for persons who are wrestling with doubt, anxiety, and fear, may you fortify their faith. Lord, for those who feel isolated and alone, may your Holy Spirit bring them comfort and companionship. And for those who are being attacked by sickness and emotional trauma, Lord, may your healing hand restore them completely. Merciful Father, I pray that you bless us in this community, and may we all carry each other's burdens as we are led by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we declare that we are delivered and set free from all forms of bondage, obstacles, and challenges that have hindered our spiritual and physical progress. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering my prayer. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you were blessed by this message, type the word Amen in the comments section below. I One morning, I'm going to go sell drugs as usual. I got a driver. I'm in the car. And, uh, you know, I remember kicking back like this. And I'm just kind of looking up. And I hear this voice. Everything kind of muffles out. And and he says, why are you killing, stealing, and destroying the very lives I'm giving people? Going to my cell because I'm facing the 25 years. The interesting part is that I meet a guy there. And he tells me he's a pastor. I go to my cell, I look up the next day, and he's uh, in his cell, and he's prostrated on the ground, kind of like, you know, with his blanket. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to ask this guy some questions. But he don't get up. So I go work out, he didn't get up. I go eat, he didn't get up. You know, we're talking an hour later, man. And I'm like, what the heck? So I'm eating a soup, and he gets up. And so I yell at him, yo! And so I go, hey, meet me at the gate. So I go meet him at the gate. I go, man, what were you doing? He's like, I was praying for you. He goes, I'm only here for you. Well, it's an honor to be here in, we're in Houston, Houston, Texas. Uh, Pastor Juan, for people who don't know you, who maybe have never seen you, could you just introduce yourself for those who are watching on the other side of the screen? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Juan Martinez. I'm married to a beautiful uh, woman uh, named, I call her my baby Ruth, even though her name's Ruthie. You know, I call her my baby Ruth because I love chocolate, and uh, I know God loved me when he gave me my baby Ruth. We have uh, six children, and we have a dog named Max. We're kind of like the Hispanic Brady Bunch, but, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that's who we are. I pastor a church in Houston called uh, Get Rap Church. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor, for opening up your doors to us and allowing us to uh, be able to not only record your testimony, but record a couple of other testimonies. Um, it's, a, it's a great honor to be here. Um, tell us about your testimony of Jesus, starting with your childhood. Okay, so, um, you know, I was born in Jersey City, New Jersey, uh, raised in Hoboken, and I, say, I like to say Manhattan, New York, because I was like, uh, where we lived was 12th and Hudson, and so when we would walk outside, I would see the whole New York City skyline. So uh, at a young age, we kind of all went to New York, and, uh, you know, Puerto Rican, 
I say that because, you know, there's a lot of Puerto Ricans in New York and New Jersey, and uh, everything, growing up, everything for us was like a party. You know, they call it parrandas, and so uh, we were always in parties. You know, as a, as a young kid, I remember just going house to house and partying on the holidays, and if you know my culture, you know, they're always eating, always drinking, and we will find anything to kind of have a party. And so that's kind of how... Uh, most of my childhood was, you know, thinking back about those times. But when I was uh, about eight years old, my parents, they got into an argument. You know, my dad is a classic Hispanic man. You know, he kind of went out on the weekends. Um, Mom and I would go to Catholic Mass. I didn't really know God then. I just thought God was real far away, you know, and uh, hopefully he could hear me. What winds up happening is that I remember sometimes she would say, go get your dad. And so my dad never really went to church. So, you know, you look up to your dad and he doesn't go to church. You don't think it's just as important. So you kind of get upset that you got to go to church. Mm. But I would, you know, enjoy it and stuff, you know, even though knowing what I know now back then, I, I was just kind of going through the motions of things. You know, we would go and then behave however we wanted to. Uh, at about eight years old, you know, I'm playing baseball little league and so i have this little league bat you know i have this glove my dad you know it was hard getting him to go and participate kind of like in those kind of things so he never really to this day you know he never seen me play baseball mm. and so uh one day they're arguing i think i'm about eight seven years old or eight and uh they're arguing and you know they have a bedroom and right next to that bedroom is my room and then there's like the living room and the kitchen so it was a small apartment and what winds up happening is that they just start, it, it escalates. And I could hear all the yelling and stuff. And then before you know it, I turn to the side. He has, it's the first time I ever see this, right? So he has my mom by her hair. And um, he's just yelling at her, you know. And um, I remember feeling so helpless. Like, I remember, you know, thinking about that day. I remember feeling like, like I, I, I needed to save my mom, but that was my dad. And I was so confused on why that was happening. But I remember my first instinct was like, grab the bat. So, you know, I grab my little league bat. I run into that room and I, uh, home run swing at my dad's knee. And so, you know, he, he lets go of my mom and, uh, he, uh, falls to the ground. Obviously he pushes me. And, uh, what winds up happening is that day my mom grabbed me by the hand. We walked to the door. She looked down at me and she said, uh, you know, my name is Juan, but they call me Johnny. So she goes, Johnny, you never let someone hit you. Never in your whole life. And so I was like, yes, mom. So we walk out. Funny to say that my aunt lived next door. So we actually walked out and just went around and went into that apartment. And uh, that was the moment when my mom and dad kind of got divorced. After that, what winds up happening is that, you know, we keep living life and trying. To, my mom trying to do the best that she can. Um, raising me, I uh, had a cousin there named Marilyn. You know, we're we're hanging out. She becomes like my sister, brother named Jimmy, and this is the disco era. So I was, uh, you know, I was uh, raised in the clubs and all that, like Studio Fifty Four, Roxanne, you know, uh, Palladium, you know, Roxy's. I said Roxanne, Roxy's. All these clubs and uh, all the disco. And so my cousin Marilyn's trying to teach me how to do disco and you know i'm gonna be her dancing partner everywhere we went and so i i really enjoyed that you know i knew I had the partying background i had all the stuff and you know uh she's the one that's like my first cigarette you know she's like you ever tried this and so i remember coughing and hacking up a lung but you know i guess back then i wasn't a quitter either so i 
attempted to become a smoker and obviously everything on television and everybody on the streets that moment you know I remember moving to 12th and Hudson I think that's where my mom you know stepdad came into my life and I just re wanted to rebel you know she she was trying to do the best she can so she was like really overprotective you know it was always kind of dark in the house and you know she didn't want me to go outside and stuff and so what winded up happening is that she would let me go to the front and so I had all my friends you know we call it the block and uh, they were all hanging out out there my mom would look out the window and she'd say, Johnny, sube para arriba. You know, that meant come upstairs. And so all my friends started calling me, oh, you mama's boy. And so that's the name calling. And then I was probably the lightest guy there with blue eyes. So, you know, they, I didn't look like all the other Puerto Ricans. So now I have, you know, I guess I don't even know who I am. You know, I'm trying to be as Puerto Rican as I can. And, uh, if you know my culture, that's important. You know, they'll rock the socks, the T-shirt and everything. And so... I think it took one day, there was one day where I was outside and they were like, mama's boy. And I was like, my mom was yelling out the window and I was like, that's where it all began. I was like, you ain't going to do that. So I, I, I rebelled and I bucked. And so I winded up going around the corner. I'll never forget. I went around the corner and that's where I got introduced to marijuana in a basement. And so I'm probably like 13. And so I start smoking pot and I don't know, it made me funnier. It made me, uh, you know, it made me bold. It made me feel like I was somebody, you know. I was always like, I don't know, I was always a jokester. So I think everybody else liked me smoking pot too. So at that point, you know, I got a couple guys and, you know, I'm selling, I started selling drugs because, I don't know, it just seemed like the cool thing to do. All the movies were telling me to sell drugs. All the music was telling me to sell drugs. And obviously I didn't have uh, a dad to follow in the footsteps. You know, I just thought, at that moment, I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be um, somebody because I felt like I wasn't nobody, I guess, you know. I didn't really have people at my games, you know, except for my mom. And then my stepdad, you know, he comes in the picture and he, he's he's pretty cool. I'm just rebelling against him because I'm like, you're not my dad. So I ain't letting no male role model do that. And my mom, she's upset because I'm getting home and they, you know, she's like, you've been drinking, you know, all this stuff. But I, at that point, I'm like, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to like... You're going to walk with me to school. Like, you got to go to work. So I know that sounds horrific, and it probably was. You know, I, I I always loved my mom. You know, she was very dear to my heart because, you know, she she tried so hard. And um, we just had, like, a, a rut. There was, like, six years where we would get robbed everywhere we went. So we always had nothing. By the time I'm 13 and I'm smoking and all that, um, at 14 – one of my friends is selling cocaine, so he's like, you ain't, you ain't making the money you should make. So I, at 14 years old, I make a decision to start selling cocaine. And my mom and my stepdad, they get in a venture. Even though my mom doesn't drink, doesn't do anything, but my stepdad did. And so he convinces her to open up a bar. And so he opens up a bar, and then they open up two bars. And so now I'm the 14-year-old kid that's parents has bars, and every all my friends want to hang out. So we're at the bars, and I become the... 14-year-old that's distributing cocaine to the adults. So I'm hanging out with all the 40-years-old, 50-year-olds, you know. Uh, later I find out, you know, everybody behind the scenes is doing the same thing. You know, I have a, a cousin back then that, uh, you know, my mom to this day is like, you know. But uh, he winds up taking me under his wing, and we, you know, you might call it discipleship. It was just in the in the opposite. And so he's teaching me his ways. He's teaching me all this stuff. I think by the time I'm 15, 
I'm I'm selling to not just my whole high school, but I'm also selling uh, to the high schools around. So at lunch break, when most people, most kids are going to eat their lunch, I was going to other high schools and selling drugs. You know, I winded up obtaining some stepbrothers that were doing the same thing. And so, you know, some of my goals were I wouldn't go to, I would cut class as I kept, you know, I think on my senior year, if I didn't um, have 900 to to $1,000 in my pocket for lunch, I wouldn't go to school. It was this weird thing uh, that I had. And so I would always try to keep uh, lunch money. You know, I became the guy that bought everything for everybody. And as that keeps going, you know, it went from, smoking, selling cocaine to using it a lot. And, um, but for me, I never thought I had a problem. I, I always thought it was a party. And then what winds up happening is that in high school, I think my, by my senior year, the detectives would be waiting for me outside and I, I'm out of control. I think they, they found stuff in my locker. You know, the, the detectives are constantly getting me in the car. So I'm already in this life leading me to nowhere. You know, it's just destroying my life. I remember they gave me a opportunity. They were like, look, you, you're going to graduate, but you got to go get help. And so I remember going in December uh, to this place. It was, it was somewhere. It was about 11 hours from where we lived. And I remember it being right before Christmas. And so, you know, you watch enough movies. And, and again, I had this, I had to be, I guess because I was skinny, you know, all that. So I had to be the loudest guy in the room, the guy with the most money, the flashiest guy. You know, I had to be all that because I didn't really know who I was and I didn't have anybody really telling me who I was. So I, I just watched stuff. So when I'm over there and they're like, you can't go home and I'm thinking it's the holidays, I remember pulling out, I remember talking to this guy and setting up a fight. You know, I go, hey, you know, you don't want to be here, you know. And so he's like, I don't. What are we going to do? And so I go, we're going we're gonna to stage a fight. And so we're going to stage this fight so we can go home and we can party. And so, you know, we staged the fight, but the guy puts me in a headlock and he starts kind of punching me in the head pretty hard. And so I grabbed this. I had bought this little can of Welch's grape. And I started hitting this guy. And uh, I think that was the first time I, like, got like so angry that I just I just lost it and I beat this guy so bad with this you know those little cans don't bend easy well this one bent and cr literally crushed in my hand and so beat him so badly they broke us apart they kicked me out um I got back home as planned you know I was like mom I, you know so I winded up partying and uh when I got back to school in January they made me go again so they had me go to this same place and they're like if you don't if you don't finish this you will um you won't graduate this is where I started learning, I think, how to manipulate and go through the motions, right? Because at this moment, I had, they're telling me, I love my mom. I'm doing everything in my own strength because I, I don't have God in my life. And so all I know is like Scarface, Biggie Smalls, Tupac, Jay-Z. And all those guys, when I was growing up, they're selling CDs, you know, out the trunk, you know. So we, we're very familiar with all those guys before they even got famous, you know. Some of my, you know, cousins are like, laundry mats and all the stuff you know that were like decoys and so that's everything i'm growing up in so i i maneuver and i wind up finishing the the, the place i i swear i learned how to get through something all my teachers passed me and what happens is that you know i wind up saying you know i i need i want to change man i don't but i don't know how to do it and so i think that change is going to come about because one of my friends joined the military and so i joined the military and so I'm a veteran today. I joined the USS Navy. Now, you would think that getting away, everything would change. My mom was super happy. Right before that happens, I wind up getting someone pregnant. 
So I'm the guy that has a girl pregnant in high school. Um, I don't have a dad to um, uh, walk with me. I mean, my mom's like, she's giving me, you know, don't do it. You know, get married. Don't do this just because you're having a baby. And the other side, you know, they're Seventh-day Adventists and they're like, you know, you you got to get married. You got to pregnant. And so I'm, I think, you know, my mom always try to do right by me. And so I, I think I'm doing right. So I'm going to join the military and I'm going to get married. And so I wind up getting married. I think I was like 18 or something. I get married, you know, now I have a child and I'm in the Navy and so rather than changing, it's wild, but like four of my friends wind up joining the Navy and they're all from the same neighborhood. And so we winded up uh, selling drugs, but now I had a uniform to hide under. So when cops would stop me or I would literally stand on the block, everybody got fitted on with Timberlands and I'm actually out there with a Navy uniform. And so the cops would never say nothing to me. They'd be like, you get out of here. And so everybody else would uh, be in cuffs and I'm just kind of walking home nervous, you know. And I use that kind of as a, as a facade, and uh, military taught me a lot of things. You know, obviously, National Defense Medal, all the stuff, Desert Storm. So it taught me a lot of things. It taught me how to grow up in some fashion, but again, uh, I still had a void in my heart. I remember getting out. You know, now I'm hitting the clubs. I'm transporting drugs. I met people in Virginia, so now I'm transporting drugs to Virginia. That's how that goes. I remember telling my dad one time, you know, you, why do you always get jobs for people? I'm in my 20s. At this point, I'm in after hours. Again, I'm at every club selling drugs, Studio 54, everything. So now I'm not just dancing. Now my personality is larger than life. In bigger amounts, you know, you keep graduating from that stuff. You know, it's your goal. You know, you want to graduate. And so uh, what ends up happening is I tell my dad, you know, you always get jobs for people. You get jobs. They come from Puerto Rico. You get jobs. And I think it was maybe a desperate cry, and I didn't know how to say I need out. I say, uh, you know, you always get jobs and you always help them. You get a place. And he said, he actually lived. At this point, I'm selling crack on the third floor. I'm basically a pimp. I got prostitutes coming in and out. I wasn't actually standing on the corner anymore. I'm, I'm just, my life's a wreck. And downstairs is my mother's bar. But they gave me an apartment on the third floor to try to help me. And all I did was kind of do what I did best and that was get high you know and now I'm like in the pimping arena so I'm doing all that and so and this is at 20 years old this is in my early 20s wow. early 20s yeah my early 20s when I got out of the military wow how, uh, how long were you in the military two I years was in the mili about three years, three years and some change so yeah I got an honorable discharge from that don't know how that happened but it happened grace mm. and so I uh, talked to my dad and he lived on the other corner so it's wild so we didn't have a relationship we lived in the corner he said Johnny said, I, I know I know how you are. I know what you're doing. I see you out there. Because, you know, he's doing his kind of partying, which was drinking the bar. And so he's like, I see you. And so at this point, you know, he said, you know what? If you straighten up, I'll help you. And I'll never forget this. I remember getting so excited. There's not a lot of things you remember. You remember pivotal moments in your life when you reflect a lot on it, right? And uh, I remember saying, you will? He said, yes. Yeah. So I remember walking down that street in Jersey City right before and I have all these cats outside and I tell them all like yo you could have here you guys could have everything they're like they thought I was crazy I'm like I'm about to go get help because I was a veteran I wanted to putting myself in the VA hospital because I'm like okay I'll just go to the VA I said I have a pro remember all this manipulation I'm like yo I have a problem I didn't really want to I just I guess I wanted to get out I didn't know how to get out so I tell them look I need help so they go okay so I get put in the VA I remember I'm about to graduate. It's about two weeks. 
I pick up the phone and I call my dad. And uh, I'm so excited. I go, Dad, guess what? I look good. You know, my weight's up. I said, you know, I- I'm about to get out. You know, so I'm moving with you, right? You're going to pick me up? And he's like, yeah. He's like, that's that's not what we're going to He's like, we can't do that. He goes, I have a girlfriend and she's living with me. And so I remember all this feeling of like anger and like what and he's like yeah but you want the job and so i'm like no i'm I'm good he's like are you sure and so that's the first time i ever like took everything i had and suppressed it somewhere far down in the basement you know i just i just didn't want i just pretended like everything was okay i told him i'm good but i remember this inner voice that said i'll show you and so right there and then i wind up talking to some girl that's in this program, I convince her to leave with me because misery loves company, and I wind up leaving. And uh, if I got high at this level, I'm going to go to this level. And whatever I did, I'm going to do it because really I, at that moment, I, I, I just wanted to show him, you know, I'm going to show you. Rather than it becoming something good, it was crazy. Somehow, you know, it, the the story continues. Now, you know, I have... That kid, oh, I wind up getting the same girl pregnant while I'm in the military. And so, uh, I don't, I never, I don't meet him till he's 19. In my 20s, when all that's happening and I'm tripping, I wind up going to Virginia because then I guess my second thing was like, well, I'm going to go to Virginia and I'm going to get away from that. But when I got to Virginia, I took a bunch of drugs with me. I wanted to meet, you know, other people that drugs from the last trip when I was there in the military. And uh, now I'm tripping out there. And now I meet a girl. And this lady, uh, I wind up, you know, just following the footsteps, I guess, of everything I know that a man does, right? And so a man has to have money. A man has to have women. So I wind up uh, meeting a girl, and, and she winds up being the mother of my daughter. So I, you know, wind up going to Puerto Rico because I go, man, maybe this time I'll change, you know, like, I, I just didn't know how to do it. And so I, I wind up going to Puerto Rico because, you know, we're going to have this baby and, uh, and, uh. And at this know, point, this is your essentially third child? Third child. Wow. I get out there, you know, I'm thinking we're going to do good. I start selling drugs in Puerto Rico, I, but I wind up, Joren Torre, you know, I wind up in the projects in Puerto Rico, so I'm, now I'm meeting like some killers and stuff, you know, these cats, they, uh, the projects over there, like it ain't like a cop car could come by and they don't really care. You know, when, when the people are going to get invaded in Puerto Rico, it's a national guard. So you see a tank coming through the front gate. And so, uh, interesting enough, man, that's kind of the life I start living over there. I start a little bit of the lady next door. She's doing brujeria, you know, all kinds of stuff. It's just crazy stuff is happening. And so, you know, hey, we're going to leave Puerto Rico now because, you know, no matter where I went, there I was, right? So now we're in Puerto Rico. We're going to leave Puerto Rico because we're going to give my daughter a life. And so we wind up going to Ocala, Florida. Well, I tried going to Jersey for a little bit, but, you know, that was chaotic. And I went back uh, to Ocala, Florida. And when I'm in Ocala, Florida, I wind up meeting, you know, again. I always tell people, no matter where you go, there you are. So I wind up going there. You know, it's horse country. There's no way I could get in trouble. It's just impossible, right? Uh, there's no more after hours, you know, in New York, you know, I, I was dealings with the mob, just all kinds of stuff. The stuff that people like see in movies uh, is kind of what I'm dealing with. So in Ocala, that's impossible, right? There's no way. It's horse country. There's nobody there. But I just, I asked somebody, hey, you guys got projects around here? And somebody points to the projects. 
So I go, it's a little country, but there's some projects there. I see the brothers playing basketball, a couple of Hispanic guys out there. I start playing basketball with them. I ask them the, the key question because I didn't think that marijuana would lead me back to everything I was doing. So I had a little good two-week run, and so I smoke some pot, and then I kick on. So before you know it, I'm selling drugs. I try to not get too much involved, so I wind up going to a restaurant. Uh, at that time, that restaurant is uh, basically owned by a mob guy, which is crazy. It's owned by a mob guy who's into Santeria, too. So he's got all the coyales on his neck, you know, he got all this stuff. And so this guy's going to take me under his wing. He's going to, I don't know it immediately, but as we start conversing, he, so he literally, I go to school with this guy and he makes me his sous chef. So now I'm a sous chef of a restaurant, which is crazy. He teaches me all this stuff about cooking, takes me under his wing through conversation. Before you know it, I'm leaving with 32 ounce cups of cocaine. So, you know, we got all the cocaine in the cup. We got the straw going in it. There's no soda in it. And so every day I'm leaving with a 32-ounce cup, sometimes two and three 32-ounce cups. So at one point, you know, the trust has built up, all this stuff, and I wind up, again, chaotic. You know, I wind up doing the guy dirty. You know how that goes. Before you know it, I'm hooked. I'm jacked up. I'm doing cocaine. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, I wind up uh, moving to another place in Florida, to try to give my daughter a good life, you know, I wind up trying to put the blame on something. So I uh, decide that I'm going to go to the VA hospital again. I'm going to go to the VA hospital again. You know, I convinced my daughter's mother that I'm going to go to the VA hospital. And when I get to the VA hospital, I start letting it, I start letting them have it. It's y'all's fault. You know, I'm crazy because of y'all, you know, so they're bringing all kinds of uh, uh people to like hold me down and stuff because I just started losing my mind. Like, I was like, I'm crazy. You know, I'm crazy because of y'all. I don't like authority because of y'all. I'm getting high. I took every bit of anger, every bit, and I just blamed it at the the United States military made me crazy. And it was their fault. So now they're sedating me with stuff. You know, they're giving me, you know, I'm exaggerating, but 100 bottles of pills, you know, pills. And, you know, I, I have all this stuff. I'm smoking again when I get out. And, uh, you know, I just want to change, but... But it, it just it just wouldn't happen, you know. So obviously, um, my my daughter's mom she smokes pot too, so she's thinking it's cool. And so for me, I'm smoking pot again. And so I remember being on the phone with my mom, and my mom always knew what I had in me, you know. As crazy as that sounds, she would be like, you know, Danny, you you you're good, you're a good person, and you gotta think, bro. Like I'm I'm kicking door apartment doors, pistol whipping people. You know, 11 gun incidents, just things that, in my mind, I'm like, this woman is crazy. And, you know, the whole time I'm thinking, I'm okay with God. I know how to say the Our Father. I know how to do the Hail Mary. There's no way in the planet that you could have told me that I was serving the devil. This whole entire time, I think, I'm good with God. This is just what people do. This is just the hands I would dealt. So I'm on the phone with my mom, and I go, Mom, they told me I have massive depression. You know, that I'm never going to get out of that, you know. And uh, my mom, like, rebuked me. It's funny because she didn't even know, you know, she's not even, it wasn't even connected like that to Jesus. And she's like, you're not. She said, I gave birth to you, and you're happy. She goes, you're happy. You're a happy person. She goes, don't don't you ever. She goes, I know you. I gave birth to you. She goes, if you want to be old, how many, you all those bottle pills, double that, triple that. That's what you're going to be doing when you're an old person. She said, you take all those pills right now. This is my mom. She's like, take all those pills. I go, mom, I'm, I'm debating with my mom. And I was like, the doctor said I have massive depression. 
You're not a doctor. I remember telling my mom, you're not a doctor. The doctor said this. She said, I don't care what the doctor said. I gave birth to you. I know who you are. Take the pills, throw them in the garbage. So I took all the pills and threw them in the garbage. I've never been depressed again. But I kept smoking because I figured, well, this is what's keeping me good. And at that point, how old were you when, when you did that? Man, everything's blurry. At, at that maybe I'm in the mid-20s somewhere. I'm somewhere around there because I, I don't get incarcerated until I'm 36. Well, the final incarceration. So maybe right before I get incarcerated, I start getting incarcerated. I'm selling all these drugs. I wind up coming out. I leave. You know, I start selling crack where I'm at. You know, I would I would fake jobs before you know it. At that point, I started getting incarcerated. So I get incarcerated. You know, I manipulate my way out of there. I get incarcerated again. I get incarcerated again. It's just a vicious, vicious cycle after that. I'm part of the system, and I just keep getting incarcerated. Um, and and Juan, what's what's happening right now? Even as as all of this is happening, all of the cycles of incarceration and drugs. Yeah. What's happening with your children, with your family around you? Man, you know what? I um I I really didn't know. I started writing my daughter. I think first, and um, you know, I would write her letters, and uh, but we didn't really have a relationship, so it, it was really even hard to like be a father, right? Because how how do I father if I don't? I've never been fathered, so like, how do I father if I don't know father? So I'm just reproducing what I know, and my father was like Jay Z, Biggie, Tupac, you know, all of these street guys. Basically parented me, so that's all I know. I, I'm trying to reach them through letters and stuff, but I, I'm just hearing stories. The only person that's always really written to me is my mom. Mom never wanted to see me in prison, so even though I've done ten years of prison in my life, uh, she's never seen me in, uh, wow. you know, in behind bars. And uh, my dad, he just never visited me. You know, prison, you know, he used to go once a month when I was growing up and stuff, you know, we'd hang out. But I wind up one day thinking about this and I say, you know what, I got tired, you know, I'm making money, I'm in the clubs, you know, it's, it's the thing, the red rope's always removed from me, you know, I'm I, I'm always getting special treatment, some weird way I always, I always somehow, I guess, favor, you know, I would meet all the club owners, so I, I had a, a name out there and one day I, I make this decision. It's a random decision, and I say, you know what? I'm going to be the man. And so I say, I'm going to take over the world. And so I tell my mom about it, and she thinks I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. She's like, what? I said, Mom, I'm just going to go. She said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Texas. She's like, you're going to Texas? I said, yeah, I'm going to go to Texas. I'm going to meet somebody over there. They're going to be like the biggest drug dealer. Now, you got to think. Because there was a season where everything was going through Florida, Miami, and my stepbrother and all of them, they, I mean, they've came out on the paper. So it's not new news. You know, most of them busted from, like, really big things, you know. Uh, FBI, you know, kicking my family out of the city, literally. And so uh, even though my mom was never drank and never did drugs, and I, you know, it was always who she was associated with, right, who she partnered with. And so later in life, you know, I'm like, yo, I'm going to go do all this stuff. And my mom thinks I'm crazy. She's like, you don't know nobody in Texas. I'm like, I'm going to be fine. So I, I sell some drugs. I get some money. I pack a backpack full of drugs because I knew that no matter where I went, I could sell drugs. All I had to do was find a bar. So I wind up in McAllen, Texas, uh, McAllen, Texas, Donna, uh, Texas. And uh, while I'm there, 
you know, I get off the bus, I don't know nobody, you know, I'm looking around, you know, I, I think I, I roll up a blunt, because in New York, you could just roll and you know, smoke in the street, and so I'm going to smoke, and some girl says to me, yeah, you can't do that out here, and so I'm like, what? And so she's like, yeah, and so the enemy had a plan for me, right, and so it was right there, and she's like, we're going to Mexico, and so I thought, great, I'm about to meet my big connect, so I hang out with these two girls, they live in Donna, Texas. I go into Mexico. I didn't need a passport or nothing. All I needed was an ID. So I wound up going into Mexico. Before you know it, I, I think at this time, I wound up meeting a guy that was like number nine in the cartel marijuana trade. And so he ran most of Donna and all that. And so here we go again. I'm hanging out with this girl. She's smoking. We're partying. Before you know it, you know, I came out here because, you know, kilos back then were like 36 in those economic times and over here there were like nine and I just letting you know so you know why I came and so I wind up coming out there and uh, man it becomes this one big party because I'm getting cocaine at the cheapest cost that I've ever got it so I, I, I just I just start doing drugs I love to party I love to party and so I, I wind up doing all the drugs I get locked up on this random stop and I have a blue orange in Jersey and so I'm gonna I'm gonna now go back to, you know, I'm getting incarcerated, I'm upset, um, I get on this bus, and I'm the lowest guy on the totem pole, everybody there are like Con Air, you ever seen the movie Con Air, so everybody's on the bus, they got, you know, millions and millions of dollars, all these guys are big, big drug dealers, murderers, you know, all kinds of stuff, and me, with a little state jail, uh, state uh, bid, but they got me on the same bus, and so I get on the bus, and I get next to this guy, and he's from Ohio, and so we're cuffed into each other, we're cuffed, uh, you know, like this, around our waist, next to each other. And uh, at this point, uh, you know, I would have thoughts of my kids and I would have thoughts of my family, but the grip was too big. You know, I I loved the lifestyle. I loved the drugs. And, I, again, I didn't really, I don't think I understood what it was like to love my kids or even just love somebody. You know, I, I didn't know how to do that. Like, I just knew how to do the streets, you know. And so uh, the lifestyle, everything was just so euphoric. And so I'm, I'm incarcerated next to this guy and we're on this bus. And, you know, when that happens and you're getting extradited like that, it's just like the movies. They're not going to tell you when you're stopping. So this took like 18 days to get me from Texas to, you know, just getting out of Texas was like four or five days, you know, six days. I don't remember. It was a lot of days. And so I meet this guy, and we don't have a pencil, we don't have a pen, we don't have paper. You don't have none of that because, you know, they just never know who's going to try to get you. These guys have, you know, big charges. And so he starts telling me about this place called Breckenridge, Texas. I'm like, Breckenridge, Texas? And so he's like, yeah. He's like, if you want to make a lot of money, he's like, you're gonna, you need to go there. So he gives me an address. I still remember it because for 18 days, I said this address to myself. That's how di <laughs> diabolical that is, though, that I said that to myself. I would get to, because they stop you in different cities and different states, and I would say to myself all day on the bus, all day until I laid down on the hard floor because you would lay down 24 hours, sometimes 48, sometimes 72 hours. And I would lay there and I would say that address to myself. And I would um, fall asleep, wake up. And so I have this Fidel Castro beard. I finally get to Jersey. Remember, none of this stuff, when I say 11-gun incidents and all that, none of the stuff stopped me. I've been like fully bloodied faces, pistol whipped and all kinds of, you know, I think at 15, you know, I had first time that I had a gun in my mouth, you know, so like all of these things never really stopped me to this point. I am still thinking of taking over the planet. It's, it's crazy. You know, I get to Jersey. I, I scream, somebody give me a pencil. And so they give me a pencil and I finally get the address out. 
I start writing to this address. I don't know Breckenridge, Texas is a small little town in Texas. I never even heard of a small little town. And as crazy as that sounds, right? Because we only live vicariously through television. So I know everybody in Miami got skates, right? That's what you think when I'm growing up in New York. I'm thinking everybody got skates and I think little small country town. I don't know. It's the country and everybody's driving. I thought everybody in Texas had horses and cowboy hats with cowboy boots. I really did. I wind up getting out and, uh, I'm going to make this dope deal because now I know the Florida guy, I know this guy, I know this guy, and I know the guy in Texas, and I'm going to wind up going back to McAllen, Texas, back to Donna, Texas. I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this deal. I'm going to make like twenty, twenty-five thousand 25000 in one shot. And so when I get out, I wind up in Breckenridge, Texas. And if I was to say, if I was to like give you a picture, bow, 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 with the hound dog on the side, you know, it's this crazy picture, and I'm like, what is going on here, you know, I'm this city slicker, I don't know nothing, I wind up going with this girl, and uh, before you know it, she introduces me to methamphetamines, and so she's, you know, I'm like, you got cocaine, marijuana, you know, I'm looking for all the drugs that I know, she's like, no, we got this, it's the same thing, and so I remember telling, smoking this thing, and taking hits of meth, and, you know, it's in a light bulb, and I'm thinking, I just ain't doing nothing, but it's like three days later. I was supposed to be in my drop, you know, this, this meet up to make this 25000 I'm supposed to meet on this day. Well, I'm a day late, so that's gone. So I'm not going to, you know, in those in those things, you're not a day late. You know, you're a day late, everybody starts wigging out, and they think you're the cops. You know, so I missed that opportunity. So now I'm in Breckenridge, Texas. The money that I had for my startup has basically ran out. I have no family. I have no friends. And I'm in Breckenridge, Texas. I don't know what to do. And so she's like, man, you know, let's go over here. But, you know, the drug dealer in me and trying to figure stuff out, that's why I always tell people, you can drop me in the middle of Africa. I'm making it home, you know. That's just kind of my life, you know. And so I uh, I wind up going in a, you know, by the grace of God, now I know that. But I wind up going to this other house, and I see a girl sitting there. And for the first time in my life, now I remember in New York, I used to kick people out of the hallway because they, you know, sell them heroin and they're shooting up in the hallway. That would... That would get me upset. I'd be like, what are you doing? So now, I'm, years later, I'm in, I'm in Texas. I'm desperate. I don't know what to do. There's the two country, about three country. One guy's Aryan Brotherhood and the two guys a country and they're sitting there and the girl sitting down. She shoots up meth and I see her eyes roll back to her head and I see her have the moment of her life. And so I go, I want that. And so they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I, I want to, I want to hold, you know, I'm going to hold my arm and somebody do it for me. I just felt weird about shooting up, you know. They're like, are you sure? I go, yes. And so they do it. What happens is that turned me into a monster. Before you know it, you know, fast forward. The guy, the Aryan, I get real close with the Aryan Brotherhood, which was crazy because I'm Puerto Rican from up north, and they don't, we don't like each other, but we had a common denominator, and that was money and drugs. At that point, he gets incarcerated, but I already know the Mexican guy, this is where I start venturing out to Fort Worth and all that, and I already know the Mexican guy. So Mexican guy, we get to talk in Spanish. They can't talk in Spanish. So before you know it, I make the move, and I wind up in Mineral Wells getting a house there. All my neighbors, because I had the cooking experience, all my neighbors, I had them believing that I was, you know, hey, uh, I'm a chef, and so I'm cooking food, bringing them food while being the main meth distributor on that block of full of houses, and nobody knew this. At this point, I'm moving into... You know, I, I always share the story how I would like, you know, I would go after the guy and if I can get him high and I can destroy the... Now, I, I know this now, but looking then, my my plan was 
I take the guy out, and then he goes to work. He gives me his car. I'm in his home. I have his wife, everything. Like, I'm just destroying home by home. I wind up getting another place in Mesquite, Dallas. So now I have a place in Mesquite, Dallas. I have a place in uh, Mineral Wells, you know. Um, so I'm, I become the main meth, dis- meth distributor from Mesquite all the way through Odessa, through Abilene and every small town, Cisco, Albany, all those towns. My life is chaos. Not only now do I have tons of drugs, everybody knows me as New York J, and uh, I'm distributing methamphetamines everywhere. I'm paying everybody off. I'm just living a life of total chaos. I just thought it was just a life, way of life. You know, I have uh, selling all this meth. I'm destroying homes. I'm seeing all this happening. I'm selling to now all the truckers. You know, so I'm selling to one trucker, selling to all the truckers and motorcycle gangs, you know. So I'm in the movie Breaking Bad, basically, you know. Life's chaotic. And every now and then when I would trip out, I remember calling I remember calling my mom a couple of times or my dad and telling him, like, I think I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die because people were, like, after me because I've... After a while, I'm the only guy that's not from there, and everybody else is from there. So I become the the, the killing point, I guess. And so fast forward, man, I, I I get to this moment. You know, we're getting closer to God trying to talk to me. I've been in a couple of uh, incidents, but before the incident, this is the first thing that happens to me. One morning, I'm going to go sell drugs as usual. And, you know, I would do a lot of stopping. I had different houses and different safe houses because I would put drugs and then make sure that I would stop there to deliver here and do that. And so I get in the car, and this is, I could probably count on these hands from the 20s to the age of 36, 10 fingers, and I can count on these hands how many times I was sober. So I've been up, I don't know, 10 days, 14 days, you know, just incredible amount of days. You know, I don't think me and my wife has ever went into these kind of details. You know, I'm carrying guns with me. I am... uh I'm a loose cannon. But this day, I was sober. So I'm sober. I got a driver. I'm in the car. And, uh, you know, I remember kicking back like this. And I'm just kind of looking up. And this is my first time ever in my life that I am. That I'm sitting there and and I'm looking at the clouds. And I kind of feel like I hear a voice. You know, I, I don't know what Jesus sounds like. I never read my Bible. I just remember looking at the clouds and... I remember the clouds kind of speaking to me, and I know that's going to sound super trippy, but I'm in the thing, you know, the girl's talking to me, but you ever seen the movies where it's like everything's slow motion? And so I'm crying, like if I got baptized by the Holy Ghost, I'm crying like that, hysterically. And she's like, we're going to get arrested. What are you, what's wrong with you, you know? And I hear this voice, everything kind of muffles out, and and he says, why are you killing, stealing, and destroying the very lives I'm giving people? And I never read John 10, 10. I never read the verse. I just heard that voice. And when I heard that voice, it was like, I, I just crying. I was hysterically crying, but it was like the faucet being turned off. And so, boom, I stopped crying, and I get normal like this. And so then she's like, are you all right? And so I'm like, yeah, I, I'm all right. But, but I'm, I'm just wigging out at that moment, and I'm like, I'm fine. She's like, man, you know, you're wigging out. And I don't tell her it's God or anything. I just kind of go like, I'm just like tripping i go and i deliver the drugs the difference is that now i'm delivering the drugs and i feel i guess 
a, a remorse. I feel like I'm looking at a lady because I had all these big drug dealers that I was giving it to. And sometimes in the house would be like maybe a mom or maybe like somebody. And I just, you know, I knew I was destroying teachers' lives and dentists. And I, I had dentists I was serving. I uh, go and I, I handle the drugs, but I feel this conviction. But I don't listen because I don't know how to stop. But I wind up telling people in that town when I will go and I'm delivering, I said, man, you know what? I didn't tell the girl in the car, but now the girl hears this because she's coming with me. And I tell them, hey, you know, I, I feel like God's speaking to me. And everybody would laugh. And everybody in the room thought I was crazy. And they would tell me, like, are you high? you saying that because you high, bro. Like, God ain't talking to you. And so time goes on, and I don't listen. I keep delivering the drugs. Obviously, I've been incarcerated a couple times, even in Texas, state prison, TDCJ. And at this point, I'm going to get incarcerated again. But I don't get incarcerated yet. What winds up happening, I get a, a short incarceration, a short stint. I get out. I don't listen still. And when I get out, I got to get back on my feet. So I start. The guy who's selling to me in the town, I wind up surpassing him and needing more than what he could provide. And they didn't like it. They wind up setting me up, you know, one of the lead blood guys out there. And uh, I wind up in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm a pickup drugs it's a setup they beat me for about i'm gonna say it felt like three hours but i'm gonna say it's probably like 30 minutes my head is out to here i'm f full of blood i'm laying on the ground because i kept trying to pick up my head because they kept saying they had a gun in the head of the girl i make the handoff i turn around i take the drugs i go yo this ain't real i grab the guy by his legs he falls i go to hit him the guy comes out from the from the woods and he's like yo the you know basically drop your arm and so when i drop my arm and turn around they start beating me beating me beating me i remember hearing the clack of the gun and and i tell people this all the time i feel like that's the moment i got saved and i know you know i sound like because it was the first time that i guess i've been in all these gun incidents but this is the first time that i heard the and i said oh he's about to shoot me and so i knew enough that i didn't know how god speaks i didn't know i just knew that at that moment like, I, I was, I don't know if there's a heaven and a hell. I got to make sure that I'm good and I don't know how to repent and I don't know how to talk to God normal. So I start yelling, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And when I look up, they're in the car and they took off. They they took everything and the the guy never pulls the trigger. But the clack went. So he must have cocked it back. I didn't hear the cock. I just know he leaves. And so when I get up, the girl gets up, and she looks at me, and she loses it. Then ah! I look down, and I guess I'm drenched in blood from the top of my head all the way going down. You know, and I, you know, I, I'm just like, we're going to help too, but not as much to see because I can't see myself. I walk by, I start going to these, hey, I need help. And so people, you know, your baggy jeans, my phone winded up being down here, even though they stole everything. The baggy jeans hid the phone. And so I pulled out my phone. 911 comes, they're trying to tell me it's a dope deal, I say it's not, I tell them I got jumped, they know I'm lying, but they can't prove it, and so nobody opened the door for me, the hotel actually locked the door, I uh, winded up seeing my face and all that, I winded up going to the hospital and calling another drug dealer to actually bring me drugs, the insanity of that is that it, I didn't stop then either, because I always thought I was invincible, and what it did was it caused this this attitude of this pride to rise up and say, you know what? You mess with the wrong guy. So I wind up going to that dude's house. He's sitting there with a shotgun. I go into the kitchen. 
because his shotgun. I go, what's wrong? And I know he did it, and he knows he did it, but I can't prove it. And he, So we're both trying to talk to each other in a way like nothing happened. All I'm trying to do is get more drugs from the guy. I could care less if he set me up. I'm going to get him later. This guy, I mean, I'm thinking now he must have raised grandma or somebody that knew the Lord because he says to me, we're, you know, he's like, man, I'm going to give you this to start. And so I'm back to square one, you know, and I'm like, it's cool, you know, because I'm I'm going I'm, I'm to come up. And so he gives me about an eight ball of dope, methamphetamine, and he uh, he winds up uh, telling me, I said, man, I said, you know, I told him, I thought I was going to die. He's like, you know you're going to hell, right? A drug dealer tells me this, and not even a, a believer, a uh, Christian, you know. He says, hey, you know you're going to hell. And I go, I ain't going to hell, bro. I say to our father, that's what I tell him. I say, I ain't going to hell. I, say, I, I know that our Father, I could do the Hail Mary, look, Hail Mary full of grace, you know. And uh, he's, he looks at me, he's like, nah, bro, you sell drugs, bro, you're going to hell. Like, you you actually, now he, look, check, check out the, the thing here, he goes, you actually mess up lives. Remember what the Lord had said to me in the car? So I'm like, so it's the first time, you know, all these little things are connecting, and I walk away and I go like, going to hell, I ain't going to hell. This is crazy. Hell's for bad people. Weird, right? Because I don't think I'm a bad person, even though I do all that stuff. Because my family did it. All these people around me did it. The TV did it. Everybody everybody did it, right? As long as you go to church on Sunday, you can just do whatever you want. That was my mentality. So I never really saw myself as a bad person. This guy's now telling me I'm going to hell. Then I had that one moment, you know. And uh, before you know it, you know, I get set up. I tell people it was the weirdest thing ever. You know, I, I'm going to go to a safe house. I'm coming back. I had just, I was one step away from picking up the big load. And, and uh, God's grace, he didn't, he let me do it. I'm uh, pulling up to the safe house in Weatherford. And, you know, you got cars on the side of the road that say for sale and all that. Okay. The car, everything that was around there, feds were in it. You know, all these people were in it. <laughs> there were all cops in there. You know, the hot dog cart guy had a badge. You know, everybody was like, I get to the thing. They kick down the door. They go, all right, get on the ground, get on the ground. And so I get on the ground. You know, all the guns are pointed at me, and they, uh, they don't tell me nothing about drugs. They go, you're under arrest, aggravated assault. You're going to be doing a long time. And so I'm like, aggravated assault. I said, hey, I saw nobody. And so uh, they wind up finding under 250 grams of methamphetamines, and uh, they're going to stick me with a charge. And they want to give me 25 years. They're like, you're going to get 25 years for aggravated robbery. I say, aggravated robbery? They say, yeah, you assaulted this guy. Some guy had set up this other guy, and the, when the cops came, the girl, the guy told the girl, which is uh, it's a whole story. That the guy's even wrote me a letter in the you know in the future. He wrote me a letter and uh, he was in prison apologizing. So that even is a wild story. But she says it was New York Jay, so they went looking for me. She told the guy. The guy's all beat up. I go, what they take? I said, man, a hundred dollars credit card. I was like, man, I got like fifty-two of those. I don't need that. So we're arguing back and forth. Me and the detectives, they're behind the the glass, and so they're gonna give me this lie detector test. And he says. Okay, you want me to help you, right? I said, yes, sir. He said, okay. So you were there that night. You were high. You got angry. You hit the guy. I was like, that's not true. So I jump up and I go, I'm a drug dealer. I don't, I, I confess to everything. I'm a drug dealer. I don't do any of this stuff. I don't, I don't, I said, I pay people. I got the pride, right? I get up. I go, I pay people to, to smash people. I don't do that on my own. Why would I go knock on this door and hit them in the, all the guys from Breckenridge, all the detectives come out. And, and so I even tell them, tell them who I am. You know who I am. I was okay with having that identity. That, that, that identity made me feel like I was somebody. 
the proper identity and who I was supposed to be, like, that never occurred to me. Like, it was, I was proud of who I was. I was a drug dealer. I was a thug. I was proud of that. Everybody around me glorified me and made me feel like, like that's a good thing to be. You're cool or you're whatever, whatever the thought was. And so I wound up getting incarcerated. I'm facing 25 years. And uh, it's the first time that I couldn't buy myself out. I had the money. Girl comes up. She's looking at me on the other side of the glass. And she's like, judge said no bond. And I remember losing it. No bond. Boom, I hit the window. I'm cussing. So she leaves. Takes the money, I guess. No, she winds up putting some of that money in my books, all that. And so I'm in this pod. And I look down and there's a Fate to Fate by Kenneth Copeland. The moment in the car. Drug dealer, you know, all these little pieces. And then a fate to fate. I start reading the fate to fate. Nothing changed right away. You know, I start reading the fate to fate. I start thinking. It's speaking to me. I'm like, man, it doesn't happen in that cell. You know, I, I just, I'm yelling at guys because I still want to watch rap. And I'm trying to fight these guys because they want to change the TV. I wind up one day going to my cell because I'm facing the 25 years. Literally, I know God was going to drop it to four years. So I wound up getting a four-year sentence this last bid. I, I, I fall on my knees, and I, 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 just, I just don't want to live like that no more. The interesting part is that I meet a guy there, and he tells me he's a pastor. And I don't know what a pastor is. So I'm like, all I know is a priest, you know, collar, bald head, you know, Latino, you know, smoking cigarettes or whatever. But he's like, yeah, I'm here for you. And so I start laughing. I go, you ain't here for me, bro. You, you got in trouble when you're here. And so the next day, you know, he goes to his cell. You know, my wife thinks he's an angel. My wife's like, you met an angel. Because I, rem- I have pretty much a memory like an elephant. I don't remember this guy's name. I go to my cell. I look up the next day. and He's uh, in his cell. And he's prostrated on the ground, kind of like, you know, with his blanket. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to ask this guy some questions. But he don't get up. So I go work out. He didn't get up. I go eat. He didn't get up. You know, we're talking an hour later, man. And I'm like, what the heck? So I, I go, all right. So I'm eating a soup, and he gets up. And so I yell at him, yo! Because there's, there's, there's this, uh, you know, it kind of looks like this, you know, like one big O, and there's a gate in the middle. And so we would meet at that gate. And so I go, hey, meet me at the gate. So I go meet him at the gate. And I go, man, what were you doing? He's like, I was praying for you. He goes, I'm only here for you. And so I He goes, I'm only here for you. And I uh, I was like, what does that even mean? You know, he, I said, you were. <laughs> he, I go, he goes, I was praying. I go, you said that many are fathers? Because I, you know, I, thought, I thought he was just our father. And I didn't know you could actually talk to God. And so this guy's like, I'm here for you. He's like, you ever read the Bible? He starts telling me stuff. He says, look, I'm he, I said, man, you're, so you're not guilty. He goes, no, I'm going to leave soon. He goes, I, I'm, I'm, I was married, and my wife's addicted to drugs. I'm a pastor, and so she came, started arguing with me in the car. Neighbors called the cops. She threw the pipe under my car. You know, she smokes crack. She goes, I'm, he goes, I'm here, but I, I'm here for you. I'm, it's the only reason I could be here. So he's like, you need to go read your Bible. So I go in my cell, man, and I, I start reading the Bible, you know. And uh, I think I was like, I read Proverbs that night. I don't think I slept. I read Proverbs. I started going through Psalms, Matthew, and I felt like, you ever seen Beetlejuice where, where the hand comes out the soup and pulls them in? Okay, that's how I felt. That's what I felt happened to me. I was pulled in. I, it's like things started clicking. 
And I was like, oh, my God, I was so excited. I was just reading, 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 and I got to my knees, and I just started, like, thanking God, you know. And I, I think it's the first time I ever really talked to him, you know. And I'm like, God, I'm so sorry for, for the man I am. And I didn't know how to repent, so I just started I just started listing all my sins, you know. I'm like, for being a cheater and adultery, for not being a dad, for being a drug addict, for being greedy for money. Like, I just started just i don't know it was just me and the lord and the next morning comes up about four in the morning you know i run out go hey you know he's already watching i think tbn and all that because that's what he got me to watching after a while so he i go hey he comes up we start talking at the gate he said what happened i said i, I, I read the bible i go man this is so good he goes what'd you get out of it i said god he said no no, no. what'd you get out of it i said god he starts talking to me about how to read the bible and then he tells me like he said you know it's like your first snickers from commissary he said you take a bite and then he said, you know how you taste every layer? He said, when you're out on the freeway and you eat a Snickers, you just eat it. He said, but when you're incarcerated, you take a bite. And you could taste the caramel, the chocolate. He goes, that's how I want you to read the Bible. <laughs> he goes, when you read something, I want you to just chew on it. And so uh, I started doing that. We started walking it out. Fast forward, before you know it, he, uh, I go looking for him because I wind up getting into the trustee camp. I always had favor and I become like the main cook there because of the chef's thing. You know, every one of those things did something for me that the enemy used for destroy, to destroy me. Every one of those things, God had a plan with it. And so there I am, and I come out. I told the guard, hey, I want to bring him sandwiches. Before you know it, the guy's gone. I go, he's not here? They go, yeah, he was innocent. They, they let him go home. So that rocked me. I wind up going down before you know it. I'm doing my time. I'm... I'm praying with people, I'm evangelizing, I'm doing everything the Bible says, and I just believed what it said, you know, I was like, this is what it says, I'm just going to go do it, and I had the zeal, and I'm out there, and I'm doing all this stuff, and amazing to say, I wound up getting moved to a pre-release facility, and I'm sitting in a bunk, this kid walks in, now, as you remember, I told you that I had a son named Jonathan, and uh, Jay, and Nina, and I, I didn't, I never seen Jonathan, I just knew Jonathan was out there. And he walks in, and he's about the age. You know, he's 19. And he walks in, and I go, hey, what's up? I'm fired up for the Lord now, right? So I'm sitting on my bunk, and he's like, I go, so, what's your name? He goes, Jonathan. So inwardly, I thought, oh, my son. So I'm going to father this guy. So I start fathering this guy. I start discipling this guy. Start walking the yard together. Start doing all these things. Later, I would marry his mom, which is my baby Ruth. And so, um... Even that got turned into a story, you know. It's like the best thing that happened well, besides Jesus, you know. Uh, just meeting my wife and, and we started writing and, uh, you know, we started writing when I was in prison. And uh, I get out. I, want, I don't wind up coming to her. I wind up going somewhere else. And uh, she's like, ah, you know, I don't know if I could wait, you know. And I'm like, oh, it didn't matter. I was going to walk this out. And even though I wanted her to wait, we get together and little by little. I started telling her things, and she's like, why don't you go back to those places? Because I was told I want to go back to you. Before you know it, we're, we're, we're hitting. I don't know how to do nothing. I'm just doing it. I'm just going back. I wanted to bring light, you know, to these places. And uh, before you know it, God restores, brings all my kids uh, to Texas. Little by little, me and my wife were getting on planes and picking them up, and they're coming over. And now they all live here. And now we have two Jonathans. And, uh, you know, we, we, we got together and, uh, got married and 
you know, the journey continues. Now we're pastors of a church, and this um, is still a wild journey. You know, it's a wild journey. Uh, still real heavy in, in helping people out, but the story still continues. Uh, I wish I, I had answers. You know, I only have one answer. It's a one-step program, right? And uh, my family's doing great, and uh, just got my doctorate a week ago. So uh, kind of interesting how God keeps doing things in our lives that seem impossible, and uh, that's my story. That's my story. Juan, I want to take it back a little bit here. Yeah. Um, first of all, how how many years did you spend in, in prison? About 10. I spent about 10 years in prison. Uh, my last one was four. Then I did like two, two, one, six months, you know. Yeah. Maybe over 10. I say 10 is a good number. Could have been 11. Yeah. But I'd say 10. And uh, um, when you got introduced to this uh, pastor that was in prison as well, wrongly convicted. You mentioned that you started reading your Bible. He recommended to go and spend time in the Word of God, and he encouraged you to do that. And then you said that you started to do what the Bible says. And I'm just curious, as you begin to do what it says, freshly new Christian, right? Could you tell us a little bit about what you experienced as you begin to do what the Word of God was telling you to do in prison, yeah, uh, a lot of fear, <laughs> in, in a weird way, right? Super nervous, new, right? I remember the first time God was like, "Okay, I want you to go talk to those guys," and it was a table of nothing but killers, and they got tattoos, you know, they got the lip cut, everything's crazy, right? I mean, I'm fully tattooed, too, but these would look crazy, crazy. And so, uh, allowing Him to be the one leading me, despite of how I was feeling, was uh, a great lesson in that. Not really knowing what it was going to be like. That's why I say fear, like stepping into the unknown of like what it's like to forgive, what it's like, and standing in what you actually believe. And I know this this sounds so, uh, might sound so like, well, of course. I don't, I don't think that happens. I don't think it happens much. I think most people know the Bible here, but don't live it out. And so they don't get to encounter or experience Jesus and learn from Jesus. And I feel like in prison, the training ground there was that, you know, I always tell people, like, I see people get saved, and then it's like, you know, they say they're saved, and, you you know, you got to beg them to do things. That didn't happen to me. When I encountered Jesus, I wanted to tell people about Jesus. I was just nervous on how to do it. I uh, wanted, we started a, a prayer by the tree. I wanted to do those things. Nobody had to tell me to evangelize. Nobody, now, was it uh, scary? Yes, you know, maybe fear was a very strong word, It was, it, but it crept in. You know, I just had to move on what I believed was, was true, not on how I was feeling. And I wanted, you know, it's the born-again experience, right? So here I am doing all these things that I've never done before, but I wanted something new. So I kept doing things that kind of went against what I even believed. Hmm. You get what I'm saying? My, my prison is so interesting because I started getting known in the prison. Uh, everybody kind of knew me in the prison. We started a faith-based pod. It was the first one starting there, and we started it on the third floor. And so from a certain time to a certain time, you know, I would tell guys, yo, you can't smoke here. And they were like, man, New York, chill out, man. We locked up. I said, you locked up. I'm in college. I used to tell them, I'm in college, you know. I'm learning, you know. I'm not locked up. And so uh, they would get upset, but I would stand. All the gangs would be like, New York, you don't have to fight. You don't have to, you know, there's a couple scenarios that happened, and they were, they were kind of like, jump in and be like, hey, we're not there yet, you know, but but you don't have to. And so I felt like that boldness 
spoke to people. They would come to my room or to my, I say my room, but, you know, they would come visit me like Nicodemus in the night, you know, four in the morning, have conversations with me. I would pray for them so that nobody else saw that what they were doing because it had something in me was attracting them to what I was doing. It was just a great experience, even though it felt weird because when you're doing those things, you know, even my, uh, my, uh, Ruthie's John, my Jonathan, the one I met in there, after a while he was like, man, because I, I, I was being different and, you know, everybody there was, a lot of people still tattooing, a lot of people still doing a bunch of stuff. And so when, you, when you're going to live that out, you start looking different than everybody else. Yeah. And, and I think that's the part where it becomes problematic, but it was exciting. I loved it. Mm. I, I loved it. It, was weird. it sounds weird. People would always tell me like, man, and I still go back and tell these stories and they're like, you're way too happy, bro. You locked up. I was like, nah, bro. It was this joy of the Lord. You know, I was walking in the yard one day and I felt, again, I had a cloud moment. And so when I was looking at the clouds, I felt like the Lord would, I, I used to think that the clouds were the angel's canvas. And I would look at it and see like an arm and say, oh, he wants me to be strong today, you know. And one day I was walking, I was like, man, God, I want to get out. I feel so alone, you know. Like, when are we going to get married? When are we going to do this? He's like, Juan, he's like, and so you could be happy with me. You're never going to make someone happy. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just, I don't know. I enjoyed my single life being incarcerated yeah i started to learn that it doesn't matter where you're at because you know my my encounter with jesus in that incarceration it wasn't just it got to the point where i just wasn't with jesus so he could get me out i was already out (laughs) i was already free i was already happy Uh, those questions meant nothing and then eventually i got out right Hmm. Juan, can you talk to me about the uh, one thing that you you mentioned throughout your testimony was your identity, right? Not knowing who you were. Yeah. Um, and so you went into these all of these different areas to try to solidify or, or find, you know, who you are, yeah. define who you are in drugs and in all of these different things. Um, as you begin to build relationship with Jesus, uh, what did that process look like of now identifying as a son of God? How did that come about in in your life how did he do that for you you know it's it's an interesting question um because i'm always thinking because i I just don't want to give you an answer that just sounds like a, a verse that's not lived out you know what i mean so i think like for me the more i started spending time with him because you know i didn't instantly you know you hear all these terms like father deliverer rescuer i think for me, the more he revealed himself to me as I kept growing with him, the more he revealed me to me. You know, like, first I was rescued, right? Cause I was incarcerated, drugs, all this stuff. And I just knew he was a rescuer. I just knew he was my deliverer. And as that relationship kept growing, and the more, the more I knew the truth, he started to identify some of these lies, right? Because most of my life, I had, that's why I had so many aliases. That's why I was trying, I'll be this to this person, this to that person, you know, trying to be all these things with a huge void in my life that was destroying my life. The more I got to know him and the more he revealed himself to me and the more I kept walking with him, because I see people always focus on all these problems and all this stuff. Like, it's not where I went. I just started walking with him. And he just, year after year, even today, he's still showing me, me. And the more I know him, 
I know that I am made in his likeness and his image, right? Like, that is the goal, not to make a better version of Juan, because then I'm going to be like, this version is this, this version. That's not the goal. The goal is to be, you're supposed to be looking more like him so that when somebody looks at you, they see him, and then they scratch their head because they're like, Juan, how are you like that? And I get to say, it's him. So my identity is rooted and grounded in who he is, and the more... It's becoming one, right? The more I spend time with him and read my word, uh, they didn't know how to read my word, right? In the beginning, I'm just reading. I'm just cramming stuff. I, I put myself out there to try to pray, and maybe it came out wrong, but after 90 times, 100 times, 200 times, right? I remember this guy, uh, when I started reading, I didn't know how to read the King James, but everybody around me was like, if you ain't reading the King James... You, and, and this is important, I think, uh, to the question of identity. Because they were like, if you don't read the King James, here we go again, right? They're trying to stamp, if you don't do the King James, you don't have a relationship with God. And I'm over here like, I don't, I barely, I started reading when I was 36. Isn't that interesting? I got a doctorate and I started reading when I was 36. And so, like, I knew how to read, but I'm saying I wasn't an avid reader. And so here I am reading the easy to read Bible. And God's given me revelation that they're like, man, where'd you get that from? Where's, where's that text come from? And I was like, well, it's in the easy to read, it's in the easy to read Bible. It's like a kid Bible. But I'm getting all this revelation because God is still speaking to me and his spirit is still true. The guy comes in that was a Christian and then he became a Mormon and he spent enough time with me to see Jesus that by the time I left, he became a Christian again. And I think a lot of times, we're even in Christianity, we're looking to all these people trying to be these people rather than being Jesus. I mean, for me, it's just always been a daily walk with him. And the closer I get with him, he always promises to be there with me. And he's here with me. And so that's really how I've gained everything. It's, it's, I've always kept it simple. I never had like a system or a pattern to try to like, this is how you do with Jesus. Like spend time with him, talk to him. The Bible's important, not because, so you could have all this puffed up head knowledge, but so that you could know Jesus. So that you could know who he is. Hmm. Now, when you when you came out of uh, uh, out of prison, yeah, there's a lot of uh, people that would come out of prison and have a hard time in their relationship with God. Yeah, coming out because now you have all of the other things that you used to struggle with. Now they're an option again. Whereas in, in prison, maybe it was a little bit harder to get involved with those things. So for you specifically, did you have any um, problems with that, with coming out into this new place of like physical freedom, totally. right? And yeah. having all of these options. Did you struggle in any way with that? Yes. And uh, it gets easier and it gets better. But here's the problem. So my discernment muscle... Uh, like I said, everything I've done here, God turned it around, right? When I got out, I could see people, and I knew what kind of drug they were on. I could actually, if they were walking to a hotel, I could beat them to the room, and I could tell you what they were going to do tomorrow, like instantly, right? Because 23 years of my life, 36, at 36, I got saved, right? So 23 years of my life, 13 to 36, right? I wind up, like I can see that. And so at those times, I remember like turning on, I, think, I don't know, I forgot what songs were on, but turning on Kim Walker and kind of like jamming to her music or, you know, Carrie Joe, whoever it was. And the fact that, I, and I always tell people this, even though like this happened to me not long ago, right? Because of that, like I could see things, but God has given me a way to fight that 
And so even though when I said I didn't go directly to Ruthie was because I didn't, we weren't married. Ruthie's the first woman in my life that we didn't have sex before we got married. Right. So I get to say that one time. And so I'm like, yes. So came out, obviously wanted a woman. Obviously there was all these things, but I just wanted to please the Lord. And I knew, I already knew what this got me. I never, you know, I, I want to see what this got me. And so all these struggles when I got out, whether it was being with a woman, whether it was getting high again, whether it was, man, I remember crying out, you know, nine months, I had no money, but just something in me was greater than whatever was going on on the outside. You know, you read all these verses, but it's the truth. You know, I wanted to quit, but I had encountered Jesus. Like, that was real and tangible to me. And even though I didn't do, know how to do any of it, when, when those things would come and I, I would think about getting high, I remember one day telling my uh, beautiful wife at a Ross, like, I remember getting so upset because I didn't even know how to be a Christian husband. I didn't know how to be a, a Christian dad. And I, I didn't know how to do anything. Remember all those things uh, I didn't know how to do. And so every day I, I think of stuff. I said, man, you know what? If there was a time I wanted to get high, it'd be right now. And so I would, I would stand next to her. And I wouldn't leave her side because I knew that if I left, I might probably go get high. Do you get insane? So it's not that I have all those thoughts. I had every thought, every single thought you could think of. Selling drugs again, uh, getting high again, being the man again. All of those things, I'm constantly... Now, they used to happen like every other day. Now they happen like once or twice a year, you know. Uh, so it happens less and less because I learned how to be a new person. I've learned how to be a new person. But in the very beginning, yeah, you're going to have all those struggles. Every time you're going to think that your idea and your way is the best way to do it. And you have to always go to playing out the tape. I always, you know, in the beginning, I always played out the tape. And if I like the way the movie ends, then I would do it again. But I didn't like the way the movie ended every single time. It was me in prison or me almost dying or me losing my kids and losing everybody. Well, how's your relationship with your father today? Um, you know what? That is uh, a good question. I, I'm okay with my relationship with my father. I think like today, um, you know, I still call, you know, he calls. So it's still working. It's still a work in progress. Those things would affect me. You know, I would think about it and stuff. And the Lord said to me, one, what do you want to see? And, and the things I mentioned were the fruit of the spirit, you know, like love, kind. you know, he's like, one, you can't expect that from people that really don't have that relationship with me so be patient and so that's what we're being right we have conversations right we we talk about things but i think my life for itself when we talk it makes me feel good that his conversations are like man i see all this stuff you're doing so i know jesus is speaking to him uh so our relationship all my relationship has been pretty mended and and well you know we you know my soul as well uh, i have conversations with them we have conversations you know, I guess I've learned to be a father by our Heavenly Father. So it taught me how to be a husband, taught me how to be a father, taught me all these things. And so how I feel about my kiddos, I don't know if my father feels like that about me because I don't think he knows. I don't think he knows. So I don't know if that was a mouthful on relationship. I think it's a good relationship. I just think we're at where he's at. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And and lastly, just with your children, you know, there was uh, a large a good portion of your life where, you know, 
you mentioned you were absent or you weren't fully there. Yeah. How's your relationship with your children today? How has the Lord helped you in that today? <laughs> Amazing. Now, look, my daughter's actually sitting here right now, and uh, uh, she actually works for the church, you know, helps the church, volunteers in the church. So they all came and got baptized. They're all doing their thing. Uh, my son, too. Let me tell you something. When I got out, I was a lot further in my walk, and my kids were just starting. And there was a lot of hurts. There was a lot of probably disappointments, you know. And so uh, I was tell people, I go, like, it took us like six years to literally have, like, our relationship's phenomenal now. But it was a lot of work of, like, you don't text me. This is how I feel. You know, uh, this is how I feel. You know, this, da 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 and, yeah, a lot of that and not quitting. Not quitting. I think a lot of people opt out because something's not working. you got to understand that I wasn't in their lives for so long. And, and I would get so frustrated because I wanted them to be the son that I am to the father, to our Heavenly Father, right? I'm like, I want you to be like that. But they were still learning how to be my daughter. Like, I, they were still learning how to have conversations with me. I mean, shoot. This next song is a favorite of mine because I stop and think of why I love Jesus. And the first thing that comes to mind is I love him because he first loved me. I love him because he looked beyond my faults and he sees all of my needs. I love him because in spite of Edward, he still loves me. I love him because he meets every need. And not only the need, but he supplies and gives me my heart's desire. Thanks, you know, a lot of things we don't even need. We don't even need them, but just because we want them, God gives them to us. Hallelujah. Pray for us as we come with, Lord, I love you. Yes, I pray. 
really praise you. Just for who you are. In all of your glory. Not just for your ears, but also for your spirit. Jesus in the morning radio. And you're with Barbara. Hallelujah, hallelujah. What a testimony. Whew. This guy went through some stuff. Got on his own product, as they call it, in the street. And once you do that, you will end up in prison many times. You'll end up in jail Many times you end up in a rehab many times because you have put these spirits in your body and now they are controlling you 100%. And there's nothing you can do about it until you fully come to God. And so I thank God for these testimonies and I thank God for the people that he delivered. Yeah, who he has set free because whom the son set free today is free indeed. And so I'm so thankful unto Almighty God. I was looking uh, at our topic for today, the will of God concerning you. Yeah, did we know God had a will concerning us? Did we know that? He made us for his pleasure. 
And he didn't just make us and say, okay, let me put them in the earth and then whatever. What? No, that's not what he did. He had a purpose and a plan for us. Even before we entered our mother's womb, he knew we were coming. Yeah. And so he already had designed what he was going to do with each of us once we were born. Hallelujah. Something to say is what they call predestined. But he didn't wake up one day and said, you know what? I think I'll make Barbara. Uh, let me see what I'll do with her later on. No, he already knew. He knew before he brought me forth out of my mother's womb. So I'm grateful this morning unto him that I know these things. And I was looking at First Thessalonians and uh, chapter 5. But the whole book is a beautiful book. And it's a celebration of faith. And it's greeting to the Thessalonians and Paul's ministry. And he uh, called his visit with them. He was wanting to go back again to see them. But he wasn't able to, to go just when he wanted to. Then Timothy ministry come forth. And he wanted to go back and visit. And Timothy encouraged, gave an encouraging report. And then they taught prayer for endurance. Because we need some stuff to stay with God. We need prayer to stay with him. Yeah. If you look at it, it's a call to the righteous living. Yeah, that, that first Thessalonians, if you look at chapter 4 and chapter 5, it's a call to righteous living. And that's basically what we've been talking about this week, preparing for the return of Jesus and becoming holy because he's holy and walking upright before him and desiring the things of him. We want to do what's pleasing and accept, acceptable unto him. It's no longer us, but it's Christ that live in us now. Hallelujah. Our lives are hid in him. So we want a good life. We want to do God good. We want to remember today. Hallelujah. So living to please God, the return of the Lord, the day of the Lord, Christian living, final blessings and instructions. If you look at uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 23 through 28, it will share some things with us. But I looked again, and um, this is somewhat of what I've got because God is faithful to us, and he's on our side in spite of us. Look, we do wrong every day, whether you know it or not, even in our thinking. But he understands us because he made us. He know we come from a sinful nature and sin that my mother conceived me. He noticed things about us, so he looks beyond our faults many times, and yet he takes care of us. Yet we keep living. He allow it. Because without him, we wouldn't have no life, no movement, no nothing. Without him, any day that he decides he wants to get rid of man, he can. Uh, we talked about Noah a little bit yesterday, but if you go back and look at Noah, day, he destroyed them all but eight. And he told him, I can't strive with man no more. Man won't get right. But the scripture taught me this. The day I hear his word, harden not my heart. My mom taught me this. Hear the truth, it become from a hellish mouth. 
If somebody's drunk but they telling me the truth, I'm supposed to hear. I don't follow their pattern. I'm hearing the truth. Yeah. It talks about over here in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 13 about people teaching us, those that teach us, those that are over us spiritually, that sharing the truth with us and leading and guiding us in the right direction. Their candle is lit and it's on a hill and they can't be hid. And this light of the candle is showing you the way to Jesus. It talks about this, and to esteem them very highly in love of their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. He's talking to the believer. He's talking to the church right here. He's encouraging the church. And daily, we need to be encouraged daily. And I promise you again this morning, if the word of God don't cut, like a two-edged sword, something is wrong. It is supposed to make you start thinking, I need to tighten up, I need to do better. 14 says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. I'm working on that too. I got to work on that more. Because sometimes I have to remember this. We didn't all come from the same place. We're not all from the same cut, as they call it. I have a different life. I'm a peculiar person. I'm of a royal priesthood. Not everybody can say this. Now, this don't make me better than nobody else. I'm no big thing. I don't set up on a pedestal, nobody's to bow down to me. But because of my walk and my sacrifices with him, I said my walk and my sacrifices with him, not for me and not because of me. Because without him, yet again, I can do nothing. All that he has given me, especially spiritual things, is because I was willing to suffer. I was willing to wait on him. Yeah, I I was willing to work through patience. Because everything don't come overnight. He loved me. Oh, he loved me this morning. And I know he does. But just because he loved me and I asked for something, it it does not always mean he's going to do it instantly. But now I exhort you, brethren. That we all should warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. That's that's verse 15. Now, this is the word. This is not Barbara's word. This is the word of God. Brothers and sisters, we're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to be together and, 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 and watching and helping each other. But many times we can't tell anybody anything, they get offended. I got a message yesterday, and she asked me, she said, did you pray before you started the cookie or dough 
adventure, in other words, <laughs> I'm going to call it the cookie dough ministry. Did you pray first? That's what she asked me. And see, because she know how people operate, even in the church, even preachers, she said this, I hope I'm not overstepping my boundaries. Now, I wrote her back, I was busy, and I said yes, meaning yes, I prayed before. And then this morning, the Lord showed it to me. He, he, he showed me, you said yes. She going to feel like you saying yes to overstepping her boundaries. So I had to go back and let her know, no, you did not overstep your boundaries. See, because we are supposed to warn them that are unruly, comfort the fever-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. Now, why should I be upset and just flip off and just cut her and why? When she's helping me, did you remember to pray first before you decide? She's, and then she uh, encouraged me at the same time afterwards. She said, because you might sell. You might sell those cookie dough buckets. You might sell them, you see. But she wanted to know some information. Because evidently she was looking at something. And she wanted me to make my calling and election sure. And that's what the church, we're supposed to do that for one another. When we see each other in error, somebody's supposed to say something, text something, message something, call something. Because guess what? Many times we may not know we're in error. 15 says, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. I live peaceably with all men, even the world. I, I, I try not to ruffle the, the feathers of the world. Now, I got to tell you the truth, and I'm no wimp. All power is in me. But there's a way to do it. Verse 16 says, rejoice evermore. Why am I rejoicing? Ooh, I got the true and living God, Jehovah, that have all power. <laughs> I got his son. His son set me free. Hallelujah. I'm joined ass with him. He's a friend that stick closer than a brother. Hallelujah. Somebody understand what I'm talking about this morning. Look what verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying now. You prayed for the cookie dough uh, ministry, but don't stop there. Keep praying. You, you, you pray for a lot of different things, but don't stop there. Keep praying. And I'm going to tell you, we have so much to pray for. If I didn't have to get up and do nothing, I could be on my knees a lifetime just praying. It's so much to pray for. Praying for children and different things about children. Praying for women and different things about women. Praying for men and different things about men. Praying for the country and different things about the country. There's the military. There's the elderly. There's the sick. There's the shut in. Oh, prayer is a lot. Pray without ceasing. Who can stop praying? Why would you stop praying when there's so much to pray for? But if we don't think about others, we just think about what a is affecting us or what may affect us, we won't get there. 17 says, pray without ceasing. Verse 18 come with this. In everything, give thanks. 
in everything give thanks. He want that noted now. He want us to really understand and know this right here. No matter what's going on in your life, we should give thanks to God. You don't have to thank him for it. Just tell him thank you. Because guess what? You think that's something? It could be worse than that. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. If we remember that, we can tell him thank you. But this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's his will that you give him thanks. It's his will that you pray without ceasing. It's his will that you rejoice evermore. And we go all the way back up. 19 says, quench not the spirit. Don't, don't, don't fight the Holy Spirit from having its way. I've been at churches where they hold the people down to keep them from giving God praise. I don't do it. Go on and praise him. That, the praise that you give him, that's not even enough. That's not even a, a tad bit in the bucket. I need you to open up and just show out in the praise for he's more than worthy. I need you to worship him in spirit and in truth. And in the worship, let him use you to worship him properly. Because he can use the human body, the mind, and the spirit that he put in you to worship him in spirit and in truth. And to praise him with all that you got. 21 said, prove all things. Well, let's go back to 20. I'm sorry. Despise not prophesy. Don't, don't despise what God sent somebody to tell you. Because it's not them, it's the spirit of the Lord that's using them. And we give too much to the people instead of who's using them to bring this good news or even bad news to you. That the warning came before destruction. Let's see the spirit of God. Let's don't look at these people. They will disappoint you. God is moving, and some of them don't even know when he's moving. They still talking about what they're talking about. God is, sometimes he has moved, and he's done, and he's not moving no more. And they still talking about what, miss the move of God. Because after all, they're just a vessel that he can use. I'm just a simple vessel that God can use. It don't make me better than nobody. It don't make me sit up on the queen chair and, and point and, and give instructions. No, ma'am. No, sir. I have to pray like you. I have to get in the word like you. I have to remember what the words say concerning many different things. I have to know when to hold them, when to fold them, when to walk away and when to run. But when the devil comes with foolishness, I get with him. Uh-huh, I'm that kind. I show out with the devil right now. For great is he that lives within me than he that is in the world. He didn't make me a coward. He made me a strong, bold soldier because he gave me holy boldness. Yeah. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, some things we do, it's not going to be evil, but to people, it would appear to be evil because of this. They didn't like what you did. They didn't like how you done it. They didn't like how you came with it. 23 says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that right there. 
us preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I stand before God to be judged, he's going to judge me blameless. He already preserved me to be blameless because he knows the very intent of my heart. And he knows it's not evil. It's not to hurt nobody. It's not to steal and, and kill and take from people and destroy nothing. He knows the intent of my heart is to do what's pleasing and acceptable unto him. Oh, that's good news, right? 23, that's good news. 1 Corinthians 5 and 23, that is wonderful, excellent news. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. It didn't say you're going to sanctify you holy. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, do it for me. Paul prayed for me. <laughs> uh, he prayed for me. Jesus prayed for me. Let those prayers come up for a memorial before you for me, Father. This day, November the 6th, 2023, in your son Jesus' name. Hallelujah. <laughs> I love it. 24 says, faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Paul says, faithful. He called you and he'll do it for you. He'll sanctify your holy. <laughs> he'll allow your whole spirit, soul, and body to be preserved, preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming back. He promised. He's not a lying son. Hallelujah. He's not a lying God. He's not a lying Savior. He's not a lying mediator. Hallelujah. So 25 says this, brethren, pray for us. Brethren, pray for us. Barbara, pray for people that you know are believers. They may not be perfect. Uh, 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 our trials come to make us strong. They may be going through some things, but pray for them. And ask them to pray for you. Because we all need prayer. I can't get enough prayer. Pray for me, please. I certainly need it. Hallelujah. Because see what two or three are gathered in his name is touching and agreeing he's in the midst. So you may be praying. A doctor may be praying. Sion praying. Pastor David praying. Somebody else praying. Shante praying. And you may not all be praying at the same time, but you're praying for me. Not only does God hear, but he's coming to see what's going on. And he already knows because he never left me. But when he come and see when he come and I know he's there, in a little bit he's going to resolve my problems. He's going to resolve it. He's going to fix it for me. Because I'm going on to continue while you're praying. I'm going to continue to help somebody. In Jesus' name. Look what 26 says. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. Now that brethren hear me, men or women. Greet them all with a holy kiss. Uh, uh, where I come from, they, we hug, and everybody give you a peck on the jaw. I remember my brother one time, he gave me a peck on the lips. And I was like, wait a minute, hold on. He said, what a holy kiss, but now I got a good cheek over here. Don't do that no more. I don't like it. Yeah. 27 says, I charge you by the Lord 
that this epistle be be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. The first epistle to the Thessalonians was written from Athens. I won't get into all of that right now. We we move it. But listen, these are things that he gave to us. He's telling you whatever you was taught and you know it's right. You know this is the word of God. You know you've been filled with his spirit. He sanctified you. Clean you up, set you aside unto himself. He filled you with his spirit. You got this. You may be still striving to know more about him and to learn more about him. But everything he said concerning you is true. And all that he said is his will concerning you. He's got a great will concerning us. He loves us today. And he won't let us down. He's going to always be there. No matter what, no matter what, God is always going to be there for us. We just got to believe. I know when he, when he says no weapon formed against you shall prosper, I don't care what they do in this country they call in America. He's going to take care of you. You belong to him. He knows the bear, again, the bare intent of your heart, nothing evil. You want to know more about him. You want more of him. And Lord, I need you to help me because I, I have things that I'm desiring to do. I have things that I need to do. Men, you need to pray more because you have families, especially a family, man. Oh, yeah, you got to pray, brother. And you got to ask God for all you want and need for your family. And if you love that woman like Christ loved the church and like you love yourself, God going to bless you. You ain't going to have it to worry about. People come to you and give you side jobs. And when you go to do the side job, it's the easiest thing. It's hard. When I look at them, like, oh, we got, I could never do that. But for you, you say, oh, yeah, this ain't nothing. I'm going to fix this. And I'm enjoying fixing it. You may not tell me that, but that's what you're doing. As a side hustle, a handyman or whatever, you might could change the oil in somebody's car, rotate the tires. I don't know what me and all men do, but... I do know some men enjoy that rough, rugged, and being out there being real. Now, they like that. And if you love your wife and your family and you're willing to take care of them, God going to open a door and make a way for you. Some way, somehow, it's going to be all right. And I just thank God. I was sitting out there in, the, in my spot in the garage early, and I was thanking the Lord. Because all I got to do is let go and believe. Just let it go and believe God and go on about my business. Who, who can I help? Next. Yeah. Because I'm occupying until he comes. I'm working until he comes. Because he's coming, I just don't know when. And I don't have to know. I just have to be prepared for when he returns. Hallelujah, Jesus. I thank him this morning. Good morning, Brother D. God bless you this morning. Thank God for you. Good morning, Brother Anthony. God bless you this morning. Thank God for you. Good morning, Pastor David. God bless you. Did he leave? I saw him earlier. I thought I did. God bless you, Pastor David. Thank God for you. Good morning, Sister Rita. Good morning, Sister Sion. 
Good morning to you, Sister Rose Brown and Sister Jerry and Sister Dr. Goodman this morning. Good morning. God bless you today. And uh, we thank God for his word, for his word is a lamp unto our feet, it's a light unto our path. And forever, oh God, that word is settled in heaven. Now, heaven is a special place. It's just not in and every old thing. And only special people reside there. So if his word is settled in heaven, which is a holy place, we know what it carries on the earth. So much clout is true. And the good part, no matter what go on, you can't make his word be untrue. Mm-mm. I thank him for it. Thank you for a truthful word. Listen, we have a few minutes. The studio is open. If there's anyone have something they would like to say this morning, please feel free and press that number one and come in this morning. And uh, we tell God, thank you for every testimony, every encouraging word. Ah, yeah, because somebody needs to be encouraged. Donna Lawrence says, sometimes you have to encourage yourself because there's nobody around to encourage you. And you're encouraging yourself in the Lord because you believe and you don't want to fall short. You don't want to doubt. So encourage yourself because some things come our way that we can't control. Hallelujah. All right. I'm, this is a request and I'm going to it right now. <laughs>
morning this morning, and he promised me is the name of that one. Sister Doctor, I was uh, listening to it after I got it, and I said, oh, yeah, got on to something this morning. I thank God for that one. He promised me, yeah, and he's a promise keeper today, and I'm so grateful for him being that promise keeper. Whatever he said concerning us, he said what he meant, and he meant what he said. And he's going to do just what he said. Hallelujah. And I thank God for it this morning. There's none like him. We can search all over. We won't find nobody. Nobody greater than Almighty God. All right. No one have anything to say this morning. I will pray us out. And we pray the Lord bring us back tomorrow morning. 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for another episode of Jesus in the Morning. But I got to say this. We may not be here tomorrow. I have an appointment. And so I may not be here. And it's very early. But on Friday morning, we're praying and praying that the Lord bring us back. But I got to check some things and see. If not, over on Jesus in the Morning on Facebook, I've listed over there that Thursday and Friday, I won't be here. But we trust in the Lord that I can come Friday. But let's take a look later on and I'll let you know. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for all that has been said and done. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, most of all your love. Father, we appreciate you this morning and all that you have done for us, seen and unseen. And as we depart today, bless our going out. Father, bless our coming in. Meet the need in our lives according to your riches and glory by your son, Christ Jesus. And Father, help us all to get in the Christmas spirit. Help us get in the spirit of giving and, and, and decorating and cooking and uh, wrapping gifts and doing all we can in celebration of you. And Father, we thank you for all you've given unto us. That, Lord, we can celebrate by giving to others. You love a cheerful giver. And we thank you this morning. And I ask you again today, Father, that you would open up financial doors for your people. Make way where they see no way. God, I ask that you would open doors where they don't even see that a door is. But we know that you're able this morning. And, Lord, it's not just stuff and things for us. But we want to be a blessing unto others in this celebration season. Touching here the sick here today. Lord, you took a beating for the healing of the nations, and you heal all manner of sickness and disease. And this morning we are declaring it that by your stripes we are already healed. With your stripes, every stripe you took, we are already healed in the name of Jesus. And Lord, whatever is causing us to be sick, we ask that you would destroy it, God, that it will never come back in the name of Jesus. If it's our eating habit, Whatever we are doing, if we are doing things to cause our bodies to be sick or to be in pain or whatever, God, we ask that you would remove it in the name of Jesus. And that, Lord, you would replace it with your grace, your mercy, and your love and a total healing, physical, mentally, and spiritually this day in the name of Jesus. Oh, we thank you this morning. We thank you. We can't say thank you enough. And Father, again, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and hallelujah. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent one from another in the name of Jesus. Go today in love and peace. Share the good news of Jesus and give someone something 
all quality. God loves a cheerful giver. Have a blessed day. Again, I speak the blessings of Almighty God upon you. December the 6th, 2023, in Jesus' name. So at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye and have a blessed day. And we're ending with this song. After the song again today, I won't be coming back. God bless you. God bless you.